You are now about to witness the awesome, a crushing might of the U G S. Robinson Show Stopper! Woo! Hey, welcome my friends to a show that seemingly apparently never ends. I'm your host. Eugene F. Robinson. Welcome to V54, or if you're in Europe, V5. Uh -oh, uh -oh. uh, God damn it. Four. You see, this is why the system is inefficient in Europe. You gotta go like this. Four, four, four. This is the we don't <laughs> we don't give a fuck about last yesterday's fight. <laughs> Yo, stop it. No, actually, I got stuff to say about the fight. Got stuff to say on GSP. Got stuff to say on the bald one. But back by popular demand. For those of you who don't remember the knuckle up way back in the day, about 10 years ago, when we covered it the first time. Danzig, the knockout. And more deeper. But first, Bob Riley, Stigmata, intro, all of nothing from Calling of the Just, available for Revelation Records, Planet Beach, California, where they hit your car with a hammer. Listen to Bob Riley sing it. I'm on my way back to nowhere. I took my time, but I could not I'm taking a real good look at you. I'm taking a real good look at your face. So be in payback and full, always nothing. All right, all right, my friends, my friends. Uh, I'm your host, Eugene S. Robinson. Thank yous for tuning in. Uh, the first, let's get some, let, well, let's, let's get the blue ball. Hey, what's that dog's name again? The one that we had? The one that we used to dye pink, you know? Oh, there we go. There we go. That's right on the money. If there's a problem hearing me, please don't let me do the whole show without saying something. You can tweet me or DM me. It'll pop up on the phone and I can see it while I'm doing the show. Yeah, there are comments and I could activate the comments, but uh, I'm going to be way distracted. So, and I know, I know many of you, uh, I know many of you, <gasps> many of you are watching the Oscars now. It will betide you if that's what you're doing instead of this. But you can always watch this. You'll be able to watch it for the rest of the week. So let's do a little housekeeping first. Uh, Ozzy Confidential, which you can find at ozy.com slash confidential, usually has been every week, one a week. I told them that they should do one every two weeks. And they're like, that's crazy. We can't sell against something like that. And I go, okay, John Jones. So they uh, decided to do one a week. Well, you know, it, it, I delivered to them five, and they're like, oh, Eugene did it. It is magic. We can do it. The reality of it is, if you ever find yourself saying, well, Eugene can do it, understand that I put in five times more work than any sane person would have done. You know, that's the reality of it. When we first started, Ozzy said, how many articles could you write a week? I said, 14. They go, you sure? I got caught in the school of machismo. I go, yeah, I'm sure. It's two a day, one in the morning, one at night. I genuinely believed I could do that. Because why? Well, because I thought I'd be working at home. In an office, you can't. The people making announcements, they need questions. They got this. They're telling jokes. They got food. They got snacks. They got cards. They got birthdays. They got, there's a lot of fucking distractions. No way can you do that in an office setting. But that's what I said. And I actually hit that number a few times myself. But I didn't feel good doing it. I felt physically sick. That's not the point. The point is that I do not think the Javier Mendez one will be ready. 
I don't know. I don't know. What I do know is that 9.30 tonight, it'll go live, the Javier Mendez article, which if you think, we know, what do we know about Greg Jackson? What do we know? Well, it matters with Javier Mendez. One, I've known this guy since 1987, 86, and two, from back before he was ISK, kick, you know, International Sport Karate Association kickboxing champion. I've known him that long. I've known him when he was thin. So the fact that he's got on top of the winningest team and nobody knows anything about it says a lot about the quality of the drug that we call MMA, but it, it's also a, a journalistic opportunity because why not? So that'll be ready at 9.30 tonight. It'll be up on Ozzy.com tomorrow, and you'll learn stuff even if you thought you knew the game about Javier that you didn't know. And, of course, it tied into a dysfunctional uh, family-father-son relationship, which, of course, you know, resonates with me. I resemble that remark. So anyway, so that's what's happening. I think later on in the week, Ozzy Confidential will go live. If you follow the Twitter feed, at Eugene S. Robinson, all run together, I'll tweet it out when it comes and you'll know first. Um, so that's a scoop with that. Those of you who've gone to Patreon, patreon.com slash uh the stomper thank you thank you some of you heard the cry over the last two shows saying look i said show that almost never kind of sort of ends i'll keep doing it as long as it's one listener but more importantly than one listener as long as it's one listener who donates and you're getting down a dollar fifty cent some of you came out of pocket remember and those of you who i said that i would send the dvd uh cd to the fight book double cd i will do this i, I just got to get my taxes out and i got some other things to do but I'm good. I just got to be reminded. I'm old. That's what I'm saying. I'm old. Later up also, JJB, the new JJB, we take on the Cron Gracie uh, 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 back take uh, to a rear naked choke escape. Well worth it. Well worth it. You'll feel like you learned something. If you subscribe to this channel up in the corner, it'll notify you when I go live with it because you're at the Eugene S. Robinson Show Stomper YouTube channel. It'll let you know. So that's it with the, with the, with the uh, uh, housekeeping. Like I said, at Eugene S. Robinson on Twitter, Mr. Sleep 3, the number on Instagram, and that's it. But okay, so somebody raised the point about dancing. I don't know. Well, a couple of things got raised, and how we got here, there were a couple of people inching up to, okay, cage fight featuring Rollins and 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 uh, and Eugene. All right, and some guy says, sorry, I got to adjust the light. Some guy said, yeah, well, Eugene now, yeah, of course, after how many years of jujitsu? What about Eugene back in the day? I was like, yo, bro. I had to put up a picture from seeing Black Flag at the MAB in San Francisco where Henry and I are facing each other. And you can see what, you know, I mean, fundamentally was a guy who was competing in bodybuilding, was probably around 175, ripped the shit, facing Rollins, who's on stage. You know, uh, honest to God, I'm not, I'm not bragging about this. You know, because yeah, I talk about, uh, I'm about to get into this story. I talk about my ass getting kicked plenty of times, but the reality of it is there was never any point. There was, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry this sounds like a fucking challenge, and if the dude was sitting here and listening, it would sound kind of prickish to say, but it's like, I've been doing martial arts since I was fucking 10 years old, okay? So there was never any point at which a guy who, you know, knew how to punch was ever going to take me, if you understand what I mean. I'm not fucking bragging. I'm just giving you the math. First, fucking karate from 10 to 10 to 14. Then boxing at the boys club from 10 to 14. Then wrestling in high school. Then saying, fuck that, to wrestling in high school. Switching over to uh, uh, Japanese jiu-jitsu. Took that from Charlie, Charlie Nelson. Read up on him. Kind of a cool read. Then from that to Kempo karate. Then from that to Muay Thai. Then from that to combat wrestling, then from that to Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I've been doing this shit for a long time. I'm like Bukowski says, I'm not saying I'm any good. I'm just saying that against the, the, the great unwashed, you would have to be a, a prison fighter, street fighter, non-parial to get to jump on me. And everybody, I, I, I don't want to give his name a pro fighter, talked about getting to seeing a friend of his get into a street fight, another AKA fighter whose name I won't mention. And him running down to help the guy. And what he didn't see was dude's friend hiding behind the car. And as soon as he got in striking range of the guy who was fucking with his friend, the AKA fighter, the guy who stepped out from the car and Kluge knocked him out. Dude was kind of fucked up. He was kind of fucked up. He goes, I'm a pro fighter. And I got knocked the fuck out on the sidewalk in downtown San Jose. 
how does this make me look? And I go, first of all, Anton LaVey said it best. He said, popularity has killed more people than anything. What do you care? This obsession with looking good, which came up when I got a call from the guy who used to run Hydrahead Records, Mark Thompson, and he was like, oh, yo, did you see this video of Danzig? Now, Danzig is, you know, the dark lord, and he's supposed to have taken a screamer, Filipino stick fighting art, which you can also move over to knives. Um, it was, you know, satanic Elvis, badass, former high school wrestler. That's as far as I know that he's gotten. And he had some, he's had over the years some pretty sage thing, uh, some pretty sage shit about martial arts, about learning about fighting from watching his cats fight, you know, um, and, you know, he said pretty sage things about martial arts. So, but of course, then he was playing a show. He's playing a show in Arizona, and this is a little bit of the backstory. And at, at, at the show in Arizona, I guess fundamentally it was decided that we don't want to, you know, in the old punk rock days, six bands on a bill, da, 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 that they didn't want that many bands on the bill. So what they say to Dar Danny Mariano, I can't pronounce his last name, from Northside 40 Kings is, hey, why don't you have you, your guys play after, after Danzig because they, they got to get on the road to get to the next town. What they're saying is, you've been yanked from the fucking bill, but you got a lot of your friends here. We don't want them to go away disappointed. So how about we're going to do you a favor and give you the option to play when we really should cut you. At that point, if you've been around long enough, and I know Danny too, so look, you've been around long enough, you go, you know what, yeah, it's all right. Or you say, like Oxbow did, when Oxbow played after a perfect circle, which is Maynard from Tools Band, you go, all right, we'll, hey, anytime, any place, we'll do it all. That's what's going to happen. And you jump in there, try to make the change over fucking quick so that people think something's going on and they stay. And in the end, we had as many people there as we would have if we played alone and we get to put on our resume that we played with Perfect Circle. But what happened is when Danzig played, the show ended and they turned the lights on. And Danny's like trying to move his shit on stage and people start leaving, right? Because it was a Danzig show. And once Danzig finished playing the show, the show was over. Danny should have seen it, pulled himself out. He said, ah, we got yanked off the bill. It was fucked. It was fucked. So he goes backstage, and he needs to vent a little bit, and somebody's got a camera, and Danzig is talking to some girl, and Danny says, hey, it's a little, it was a little fucked up what you did. Now, this, this look, I've had a friend who in the middle of a foursome, you know, he's fucking the guy's wife. The guy's wife is getting off like crazy. His girlfriend slaps him on the ass, runs in the bathroom where she's crying. He says, oh, excuse me, goes in the bathroom. And the guy that she was having sex with, the woman's husband, is she's screaming, he's got a small penis. He's got a small penis. He's, Get out there and be nice to our guests. And they go back out and the guests have left, right? Because now it's now it's a thing. So the guy calls in a little bit says, well, I think that you kind of got over on me. Like We were supposed to swap. You had sex with my wife, and your woman wouldn't let me have sex with her. And, and he goes, hey, man, it's not my fault. you got a small penis. Oh! And so the guy says, hey, you going to hide behind your phone? And he goes, hide? you called me. He goes, we're out front. You know, it's one of those houses where you have the intercom phone, phone intercom. So he goes, oh, shit. So his girlfriend's inside sobbing. He goes outside, and the, the girl that he just had sex with, the guy's wife, is sitting on the car sobbing. And... Uh, the guy has got tears in his eyes. He's like, he's trying to get some sort of redress. Like, you know, okay, well, we were supposed to have an equal exchange. And he, and then uh, my friend finally says, I don't know what you want me to do. What, uh, what do you want me to do about this? What do you want me to suck your dick? Is that what you want? And then he goes, Hurr! and they stalk off into the San Francisco night. This was like that. Danny just wanted to feel better. Somehow some redress to acknowledge that what happened to them was fucked and wanted Dan some sort of sympathy. Danzig could have gone, oh, man, I'm sorry. If I if I had been in the chain of command on that, I'd have told you just cancel all your shit out because nothing happens after we play. You got scammed. You got juked by the promoter. I don't know what to tell you. You still got paid, so there is that. Your friends didn't see you, but they'll see you some other time. But Danzig feels affronted. Danny is bigger than he is, and it looks like a fat guy. Well, it looks. He's like probably 285. And so Danzig pushes him. The clip is on YouTube. I don't have to go to pushes him, says, Fuck off, motherfucker! <laughs> That's a, kind of an invitation that works. And then steps forward with his chest out, his chin out, and his hands balled at his waist. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Woo! I saw that, and I almost didn't have to see the rest of the video. 
and Danny lurches in with a with a hay making um hay making fucking right and Danzig his his let's see hits him on the left side of his face and Danzig corkscrews down to the ground he, he's right corkscrews down and that's the end of the frame somebody screams Northside Forty Kings and it and this was viewed millions of times you go it's on YouTube now well as luck would have it when that happened you don't i was gonna say do you know where i was you don't know where i was i was at the apartment of danzig's pr person or the woman that he is occasionally engaged to do pr i'm not keeping her name secret i just can't remember who it, who it is she was uh some sort of ethnic mix of some kind maybe part mexican part persian i don't remember she had wavy hair about this long it was really nice at big old knobbies Yes, I'm just telling you, I'm giving you the police blotter description. When, I didn't go over to her house to have sex with her. I went over to the house. We were doing something else. She was going to interview one of her other people. And as so happens to me, I got a certain kind of, I was working three jobs at, at the time. And I don't know where the sexiness was planned. You know, uh, I don't know what was going on in the head. But uh, I got there and I fell asleep. And I wake up and there's this fevered whispering. And that's a, that's not a cool sound to wake up to, right? Because I can feel the panic and I go, what ha What the fuck happened? And she's like going through, Whoa. well, I guess it must have happened the night before, not at the same time. So this happened the night before and then she got it. We went there like maybe 10 o'clock. So she heard it the next day. And she's like, fucking hell. I got a member of the press passed out on my couch. He's going to wake up, going to add. So I woke up. I said, what's going on? And she said, oh, yeah, you know, Danny. And I go, you know, Danny, this guy, Danny, apparently is some kind of fortune hunter. For Danzig sensed this, sensed that he was a fortune hunter, and he decided to take the shot. Fuck it. I don't want this guy suing me for money. I don't have the money. He wasn't really knocked out. I was like, are you absolutely fucking kidding me? You have got to be kidding I know fighting. I've been doing it since I was 10. I she, she goes, no, that's, that's, so this is PR spin non-parial. I don't know what he was paying her, whether he was an official like Todd Rundgren for a long time, had an insane fan who actually became his PR person. She would like sleep out in front of his house. And then, then she, finally he just goes, look, why don't you go to the post office? And she just became his factotum. Somebody said, hey, you know, so-and-so, yeah, she called me about doing this article on it. Because let me tell you how she got her job. So it happened. I don't know that she was officially hired by Danzig, but I do know I was there. So let's go back in time to 1981 at the Elite Club in San Francisco, where the Misfits are playing. Right now, I've talked to Chris Desjardins, who used to be in the band The Flesh Eaters, and he kind of corrected some of the odd sods points that I've missed. But supposedly, the deal was had been that the Misfits were playing with the Flesh Eaters. And these were all kind of horrorcore bands and that, you know, these kind of fairly provincial guys from Jersey, also known as jocks, maybe in the Misfits, you know, got dragged around from gay bar to gay bar by the, the gay guys in, in the Flesh Eaters and were on edge by the time they got to the San Francisco show anyway. Well, according to Chris Desjardins, that's not really what happened. But whatever, I have a theory, superstitious theory about when you wake up on a day when it's raining, it's going to be a shit show because the day in question it was raining and shitty people in a shitty mood got to san francisco and the kind of reverence that they expected it wasn't packed and elite club is now the fillmore so yeah it holds like a thousand people there were probably around 80 people there so whatever was going on the guys were and they were like uh frisco which is not what you want to say to people from san francisco they hate it so they said frisco and they didn't have any base they didn't bring anybody with them and people were like eh, fuck you I mean, keep in mind, we were used to bands from L.A. who were used to the hostility and abuse. And these guys were a little freak. And they start, so they go from Frisco. They don't get a positive response. Somebody says, fuck you. They flip them off. And then they, uh, and then, of course, they take a 100-foot cliff dive. And they into, yeah, this is fag town. Oh, my God. Boy, boy. That There's certain things that you don't say. You don't call it Frisco, and you don't make the jokes about the fag town specifically in 1980, even in 1981. So there was a fusillade of, of bottles thrown at, at them at that point. Now, it was a rough crowd. There were some people in the crowd. 
I'm not going to mention their names. We're Facebook friends and friends to this day who were routinely known for stabbing people on the dance floor. And I'm not talking about stabbing with a knife. You would hope to get stabbed with a knife. They were taking church keys and gouging them into people's faces in the pit. It was a only, I mean, that's 80 people. And out of it, like 20 of those people were just complete fucking mugging. You see a punk rocker, you heard nightmare stories. These were the people the stories were about. So they hit with the fag blast and people are throwing lit cigarettes at them and bottles. Keep in mind, if you know anything about Oxbow, you know that if people want to be part of the show, I'm willing to make them part of the show. If you are four people on fucking stage, it doesn't feel good to have 80 people gang up on you. But you called it on yourself by calling them fags, okay? I never would have fucking done that. Um, I, I, you know, I like, I get paid whether we play or not. So if there are enough people here interfering and I can't beat up 20 of you, let's go home, take my money, and so long, suckers. But that's not what happened. So there's taunting, and I'm standing there on the floor watching, and next thing I hear, like, a tree was falling. And I turn to my left, and there's a guy laying on the ground with an increasingly an increasing and widening nimbus of blood. And it's pretty clear that what happened is Doyle, was probably about 220 at that point, or maybe 210. But, you know, obviously a barbell boy had taken off his guitar and brought it down like an axe over his head. Now, keep in mind, he was standing on a stage that was about five feet tall. He himself was about six feet. So he brings this thing up over his head with all of his might and cracks this kid named Timmy. And Timmy passed out, like, passed out nothing. It was bleeding from the fucking skull over the floor. And at that point, that was the fucking the the, the, the match that lit the um, that lit the that lit the, the, the you know what I you know the thing that set it off. What is that? What is what am I trying to say? The match that lit the lit the fuse. So um, we jumped on. Uh, I was there with Whipping Boy's old guitar player Steve Ballinger, who's six foot six, two hundred seventy five pounds, with our drummer uh, Dave Owens, who is now a professor at Vanderbilt. Uh, oh, he kind of runs his own division of of the uh, of the of the biz school, <laughs> and a crazy turn. Uh, and Sam Smoot, our our, our bass player, who's a, a a doctor in New Hampshire, and Ballinger is a surgeon in Oregon. But at the time, we were there and just flipped, you know, jumped on stage. Other people were there, kicked in Googie's. Late Googie was a drummer at the time. I became friends. We kicked in his bass drum punched them and they fucking disappeared. And then we circled the block like sharks, wait for them to come out. Timmy was taken to the hospital, has never been right since then. He did not die. Then I wrote an article about it for um, for Maxim, Maxim Rock and Roll, or no, for, for Ripper, this other punk magazine at the time. And it divided the community. When the article came out, we were on tour in the Midwest with the friends of the Misfits. And they were too fucking cool to be rude to us face to face. But after we left, they wrote a bunch of shit. I'm speaking about Tesco V. I don't give a shit. I forgave all that. In fact, as the years went by, I started listening to Misfits, and I go, you know what? These guys are actually really fucking good. And and they, they, what they do is they they have they're a really kind of creative distillate of of night late 1950s impulses when they sing that song Nike a Go Go. People think the shoes. No, there was a major missile. So all that shit from like 1957 to 1965, you know, who killed Marilyn, all that, you know, it just was also part of my consciousness. And they did a great job. I mean, to, uh, I mean, keep in mind, the Sex Pistols were, were, were like the monkeys, right? Like the band, the monkeys or rock and roll monkeys. The Misfits were actually like a real band. And I actually had a, a, a moment of clarity and I wrote Danzig a letter saying that I fucking, I, I've had a change. You were assholes at night, but you, uh, the artistic impact of what you guys have co contributed, I was wrong. That part of my article, I was totally fucking wrong about. And, and it's continued. Like I continue to like Danzig musically, but every time he opens his mouth, it's like, oh, shut the fuck. You need a PR person 24 hours a day. Anyway, flash forward to the knockout. I'm making jokes about the knockout. I'm laughing about it. And I get Harley Flanagan, bass player and founder of the Cro-Mags, on the phone. I was like, ah, you do that. And he was like, yo, 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 yo. And I was like, what? He was dancing. He's a friend of mine. I like, ah, man, fuck that. He goes, dude is 60. 
which of course is how we managed to synthesize all things. I was born in 62. So stuff that was happening by the late sixties, like getting in the car, turning the radio and hearing an interview with Jim Morrison, it's part of my fucking experience. You guys may have just heard of the guy who sang for the doors when he was on talk shows and stuff. He's a little older, so but and I, I go, why what? He goes, he's 60 fucking years old. The guy knocked out a 60-year-old man. I was like, yeah. Yeah, okay, as a guy who's getting older, they think, yeah, what's it? So, uh, you know, I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, he got mad. Maybe he's making fun of the fucking cat. And, you know, he's, and then I interviewed Danny for an article, Danny Marano, the guy who knocked him out. And he actually wrote a book about it because, you know, the, the amount of hatred he got afterward was intense. And I remember in the early days of music online shit, I was got in some chat room and I said, hey, is Danzig Jewish? And people flipped out. They flipped a buck out, even though I don't know why Satanism and aggressive machismo should be counted to whatever kind of narrative people had about Jews. I thought that was one of the more interesting things about it. Well, you never met a tough Jew? Really? You've never heard of one. Stop it. Why couldn't he be a fucking Jew? Why not? So anyway, uh, that, that be it as it may, um, you know, dancing has kind of continued, and I say, yeah, he's 60, he's older. Eh, you know what? Fuck it. I was probably wrong about that. Taking delight in the fact that got, but Danny took a lot of heat, he had death threats, and he was a perfectly entertaining guy. He's not doing, I don't know if he's doing music anymore. His book was completely hilarious. I wrote the forward for it, because I'm like, I'm like, uh, I'm a non, I'm like Switzerland. I'm a non-aligned nation, you know, and Danzig never wrote me back, so I, I don't need him to write me back, but I'm just saying, I can, I'm a journalist. I talk about whatever's going on. I don't not. I'm not a partisan. So, so, um, so this is what Harley sets me straight on Danzig. Then I interviewed Danny. Danny's like, I got a certain amount of regret. It was fucked up, but I certainly don't want this to be my claim to fame forever and ever and ever. So, I, and then I start thinking, of course, well, what's the difference between Danzig and me? I beat up audience members too who cross the line. I said, well, it's titration, right? You're drinking the amount of alcohol to the fluid that you're drinking. This is just, it's the punishment, the crime. How much force should be applied? And certainly the kid was unwitting. I remember looking at Timmy right before he got struck. He was smoking a cigarette when you could still smoke indoors and was laughing and looking around like you know, he's a little, he was like 120 pounds. You could have easily kicked him in the face and it would have done the same. Well, it would have, you could have killed him. And I, I've been there too. Guys fucking with me and I jumped in the room down in the, in the on the floor and put this guy in a flying mare, almost broke his neck. Uh, you know, you look at what happened to Randy Blythe from Lamb of God, you think, ah, you know, maybe I should just leave the stage and take the money. These guys don't want to see us play. So, uh, um, so Mark Thompson calls me and says, hey, uh, Eugene, would this kind of fuck your shit up if, like, this would have happened to you? You know, like, you're this kind of badass martial arts guy. No, because anybody, so I told him this. I go, are you kidding me? Anybody who's taken martial arts knows that some days it's your day, and sometimes it's not your day. Sometimes you get knocked the fuck out, and sometimes you knock somebody out. And it's perfectly consistent with my brand. I've been fighting pros for what? At that point, I'd already been fighting pros for like a decade and getting my ass kicked. What, what fucking full pros did you fight, Eugene? Are you kidding me? Vladimir Matashenko, uh, uh, Frank Trigg, uh, Rico Ciparelli. Uh, Daryl Golar, uh, Frank Shamrock, Cain uh, Velasquez. I've made a fucking career out of getting my ass kicked by these people. I always talk about my ear. My first big street fight put me in the fucking hospital with a torn cartilage in my ear. I'm not saying this to make me tough. It's saying that loss is like anything else. You know, there are two ways to lose. Like Manson said, there are two ways to get to the cross. You can walk to it or you can be dragged to it. There are two ways to lose. I'm walking to it. You don't have to drag me to anything. So uh, so anyway, so then they come out with, with this comic book called Henry and Glenn Forever that posits that living next door to Hall and Oates, men with steer, mysteriously without wives are Glenn Danzig and Henry Rollins. Now, Henry Rollins at this point has already stopped talking to me. Uh, for He went through a, a, a night of the long knives where he stopped talking to like Lydia and a bunch of other people for reasons unknown to me. It's not like I care. That's, uh, yeah, whatever. It's, it, this person was not a close friend of mine. So we enjoyed each other's company for a period of time. So uh, um, he puts out the comic book, Henry and Glenn Forever, which pauses that Henry and Glenn are roommates slash lovers. And, you know, this is very, of course, they're primed for it because they're these mach macho guys. 
And then somebody, again, calls me and says, hey, would this bother you if they did, like, you and Biafra living together and, like, some kind of homosexual union? I go, why would I give a shit? Absolutely, why would I give a shit? And then, of course, they, the guy who I interviewed said, well, you know, Danzig, or Rollins seems to have a sense of humor about it, which was really strange to me. That he had a sense of humor about it, but Danzig was depressed and angry, and uh, Jay Bennett, the one who uh, uh, kind of contributed some of the stories after having interviewed Danzig, who mentioned it to Danzig in a subsequent interview, that Danzig was pissed off and unhappy. Like I said, every time I read an interview with Danzig, I just wish he had not done the interview. You know, um, If you want to talk to him about Satanism, his information is usually pretty solid, but everything else is just politics just to stop, right? So I, why would it bother me? It's like, it's like saying, usually, are you Chinese? Are you gay? I don't give a shit. These are things to be. These are things that people are. If you mean in the course of my life, had I had, have I had another man's penis in my body? The answer is no. But whatever, if that was what I desired on any given day or have put my penis in another man's body, if that was something I desired, so be it. I'm not worried about that kind of stuff. You know, I'm worried about cash. That's what I'm worried about in general and continually. So those are my Rollins Danzig stories. To this point in time, both of these, I, I've not talked to either one. I've never talked to Danzig up close and personal outside of when I was punching him in the face in 1981 and um, and kicking his drum uh, head in. I've talked to Googie, um, and, and he's kind of edgy, you know, when he figured out who I was, but face-to-face, -face, hanging out in the Lower East Side back in the 80s, like 82 now, Googie was like, what am I going to fucking fuck with, dude? I'm going to fight? That shit was a wall. Let's just let it go. So we let it go. I got into another stage fight with some guy from this band Amplified Heat in Texas where I not, not, he punched him in the face and, you know, put him in ultimate head and arm, and then there was a threatening of stabbing, and he's trying to whip it up online, and I just sent him a, a back-channel email and said, we're coming to Texas. We're not going to stop playing, and I'm assuming you're not going to stop playing. So do you want this? Are you trying to whip up your fans? Do you want this to keep going until somebody gets hurt for, for, for true? I said, yeah, I punched you in the face. Yeah, I wrestled you to the floor. But it could have just easily been you with me. And he, and he goes, so I said, you want to, I'm offering a fucking truce. Are you willing to do this? Because the other way is going to have terrible consequence for one or both of us. And he was like, are you serious? I go, 100%. Never out of my mouth again. He goes, okay, cool. So I'm standing on the sidewalk in Austin, Texas, drinking wine from a bottle, right? I got my shirt off. We just finished playing. I was getting a little loose. My pants were open, and I'm like, ah, gah, 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 gah. and I look, and I see him and the guy from Ditch Witch walking along the sidewalk. And I'm like, oh, shit. Going to catch me slipping? I think not. So I take the bottle down, grab the handle. So now I got the I got the club in one hand. Unbeknownst to them, I'm, I'm multiply armed. And I stand there and I wait. And these guys, three guys walk and they walk around me. And I, it was so smooth and complete. I started doubting the reality of my existence. Like, like they like they didn't even like they didn't even see me. And I was like, perfect. And so they stopped talking about us in the press. I stopped talking about them in the press. I don't know whether they're still around or what, but that was a, a comfortable conclusion. So I haven't talked to either of these guys. I haven't talked to Rollins since the 90s, and I never talked to Danzig outside of when I was trying to kill him. Did talk to Googie, and then, of course, I talked to Robo, who was a drummer for a period of time. All that shit's old news. It's all old news. But somebody had asked for me to talk about it, as well as the Donna Shalala thing. I was scheduled to play golf with Donna Shalala. I started telling this story. Kidney interrupted and said, you already told that story. I said, I never told the story. I started, you interrupted me before. He asked me to finish, and then I got offended. So the joke is the Donna Shalala thing is a story I've told before but never finished before and still haven't told anybody. So somebody asked about the Donna Shalala thing. It's become a meme, but I never did finish the story. I'm going to do it for the first time here. When I was at editor-in-chief of Code Magazine, I was scheduled to play golf with Bill Clinton and Donna Shalala. My wife at the time was nice enough to get me some golf lessons because I hadn't golfed since I was a kid. So I had to know not only the game, but be able to get out on the links and not embarrass myself. So um, we get out there and I'm standing next to Shalala. She's, she's like tiny, like four foot 10 or something crazy like that. And we're waiting for Bill to show up. 
And suddenly I get this creepy sensation crawling up the back of my neck. And I turn around, oh my God, Kenny G. Don't ask me, don't ask, don't ask. Kenny G, oh, he's playing? Oh no, he's standing there with his fucking saxophone and he breaks into some kind of wild impromptu solo, starts doing the circular breathing. And that's pretty much at the point where the golf thing fell apart. People was cheering and like, yo, go, go, Kenny G. And then uh, in the interim, Esquire, he did, Clinton did two art, two interviews because my magazine was a fashion magazine. It was like a GQ for men of color. It's called Code. And uh, fundamentally it was in the end bought by, <laughs> bought by GQ and they just changed. Cause we had done, somebody had done a study and said that over 60% of GQ's cover people were Asian, African-American, Latino men, you know, A-Rod, baby. So they said, why don't we just build a whole magazine out at 60%? It was a good idea. We were uh, uh, successful in the black in like 13 months in. And then they just sold to Condé Nast, who kind of cannibalized it for the mailing list and picked up the formulas to, to put more African-Americans and Latinos on the cover, whatever. So, but Clinton at that time was trying to curry the black vote. He had already, he was done. He was leaving office. It was uh, at the Democratic National Convention in LA. And so he wanted to do two interviews exiting the presidency. One for Esquire, which I guess was one for the white dudes, and then one with Code. On the stipulation that we hold the interview until he had left office. G, uh, uh, Esquire violated it, ran with it. We got the story, fuck you, and they ran it early. He got so angry, he canceled all the press opportunities, canceled the golf game, never showed up. I never played a round of golf with Donna Shalala. We just talked about some bullshit. And uh, uh, the Secretary of Labor, Alexis Herman, was very friendly. She called me by my sex column name at the time, which I thought was fairly interesting. So the, the game actually never happened. So that's a true Donna Shalala story. So now let's go to UFC Fight Night 145 and the misty shit that's been happening this week. Uh, ooh, I'm, I'm keeping the pace like a like a it's like an SOB. And I don't want to keep the show clean. So um, look, there are a couple of things that have happened this week, and I want to and I'm going to have I've done this periodically before, and I'm going to do it again. I want to have uh, sympathy for the devil section of the show, which in this instance is sympathy for the bald one. All right now, I know I heard lots of chit chat back back chatter. At practice, you know, and I'm hearing this back chatter about what, well, about this idea that like, like the bald one is fucking up the careers of Nate and Nick. You know, Nick is like, yeah, man, I'm just gonna hang and live my happy life, and Nate is like, you know, having uncomfortable moments backstage in the last fight as he walks somebody in, and it's like, okay, and GSP is like, I want to fight Khabib. Khabib wants to fight me. But it takes three people to make a fight, so I guess we're not going to have the fight. So I retire. I'm going to have a big announcement by Thursday, which is his way of saying, you got until Thursday. Make me an offer. Make me an offer. May, may not making me an offer. Oh, so long. So, um, But you have to understand the position that the bald one is in, right? The, the fundamental position that the bald one is in. I can't build it. I can't have you dribble, drop it. I can't have you... I can't build a fran. It's all about building a franchise. So you're gonna come in, you're gonna fucking ruin my champion, who I've got like a, like a five fight contract deal with, and then and then you're gonna disappear again. Can't have it, man. I can't back that. I can't. You you might be him. You might, but I need I need I need some run, I need I need some runway space. You got to commit to me for a year. You got three fights, five fights. You got to commit to me for something. This can't be this one off. You disappear. You're going to go. We got USADA. We got VADA. We got people. We got testing programs. What else do you want? You can't cherry pick and then go and, and you know. And you've heard some of these guys say, I, you know, I like training, don't like fighting. Maybe that's the time. So he's gone. And I think he's really gone. I don't think he's gone like too short is gone. Oh, Jay-Z, I'm retiring. Oh, I'm not unretiring. I don't think so. I don't think so. Like, we've had other fighters on the show before describe having a relationship with the, with the Oofsi and the bald one. It's like having the worst girlfriend in the world. They call you at fucked up times. They ask <clears throat> unreasonable things. And you're jammed. You're jammed. You're jammed. You're jammed. 
persistent and then inconsistent. Ter terrible combination. Like somebody who's addicted to drugs. So, but I have to defend him in this instance, the bald one, because you can't build a franchise in this guy. You can't have him come in, fuck shit up, and then leave. You know, we got to clean up his mess. That's that's less than helpful. Same with the Diaz's. But there's no reason why you can't sit with them and put together a fucking run. And I guess his ad his response would be, I can't sit with them and put together a run because I can't sit with 575 guys and put together a run, to which I'd respond, you don't have to do 575 guys. I still think it's criminal what you've done with Diaz's career. And he would turn around, I'm sure, and say, what I've done, what they've done. They, you know, it's like that Tom Waits line. You know, I'm, I'm here to make myself available to you. Are they willing to make themselves available to me? I guess not. Well, it seems to me the catch with them is money. And that's where the sympathy stops. Because half their shit would go away if the guy were to pay money. That And you can see the amount of money that they're paying is actually kind of inching up. But I'm only looking at the last fight, Aljamain uh, uh, Sterling, what he got to go, what dude got $100,000, $10,000 or something, $80,000, I don't remember. But I didn't check on the guys in the early prelims. I don't know what they're making. Conceivably, how, how what portion of the tickets were they responsible for? $70 tickets. How many people came to see Joe Schmo opening up the card? Well, I think it was Hanan Barrao, so maybe they would have watched that. But how much? How much worth? How much would you pay? Dollar? Okay. So that should be reflected in their purse. But, you know, you're going to have to pay these guys. and Because you're losing. It's bad for you. Whatever line you're trying to draw in the sand, it's bad for your business. But I do. I am amused at how how present what you're seeing McNuggets do is is to counteract. And uh, St. James was giving me a hard time. My opinions on Trump. Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. I express the opinion. You don't like it? Listen to some other shit, you prick. So what I'm going to say here is 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 the same is the same sort of <laughs> same sort of thing. And that's that. <laughs> yes, precisely why I don't run for president. <laughs> nah. So what I'm going to say is like, okay, um, that you got to have a driver. The plane has to have a pilot, but you got to trust this person, right? And if you don't trust this person, you're not going to make the first move. And that's where we are. The Diaz's don't trust the bald one. Large chunks of America don't trust Donald Trump to drive the car into a place that's safe and healthy. If he doesn't know where the memorandum of understanding is, he was laughed at by the vice premier of China, laughed at because he didn't know what it was and, count, and contradicted his trade, his trade representative who corrected him in the meeting. And then he was, well, I don't look. Oh, man, you know. I had a friend who was a surgeon fake his way through surgery when he was a resident. And the woman lived, but he was like, man, don't get sick. Stay out of the hospital, bro. I said, don't need to tell me that twice. So the bald one is trying to create the illusion that he's in control of things in order to establish a basis of control, but it's completely counterintuitive and unhealthy for the fucking business. It shouldn't be, fuck you. It should be, fuck you, let's make this thing work. It was criminal. It was criminal to lend end the, the last day's GSP uh, the way it was. It was criminal. It is criminal to let the Diaz's languish. Okay, they can't be calling the shots. I get that. I get that. But the only their only beef is if you were to give them a certain amount of money to fight Poirier, they, and don't say, well, when we look at the numbers, we, this fight could only be, stop it. Stop it. It's about build. you're either building a franchise or you're not building a franchise. And if you build a franchise, you're doing it on the backs of fucking performers. You're creating stars. Creating stars. So, so when you get when you get somebody like like uh, uh, a Johnny Walker Red, yeah, okay, this guy comes into it with charisma galore. But what about, uh, yeah, I'm not talking about the Black Panthers right now. I'm not watching the Oscars, sorry. You got to, you got, you, you, it's your business. 
make us love you. Why am I here? I just spent half the show talking about old punk rock shit. I had two two fights on the card that I cared about. Both the fighters that I picked lost. I I want I picked Dodson on purpose because I wanted to move him from the gict to the gicta column, and he finally did it. I picked him. He lost gicta for life. He might win again in the future, but I don't care. I got that monkey off my back. But I also picked, uh, I went with the uh, Polish cat, uh, uh, Blakowicz, because hometown. And then no, I was rewarded by this. Usually I say wait until Wednesday, but this is so choice that Santos is like, I need my title shot. <laughs> okay, bro. Well, you might get it. You should. If if Joe, Johnny Boney Joni doesn't win against Anthony Smith, you should have to fight Johnny Boney Joni as he works his way back up. If Anthony Smith loses to Johnny Boney Joni, you got yourself a platinum level uh, uh, gatekeeper and you should fight him. But your next fight will not be a title fight. Why? Yeah, because the main guy calls the shots and that's the way it works. You don't like it, lump it. That shit is dangerously misty to say. You said the right thing at the right time. Don't say that shit beyond Wednesday, please. Sadly, uh, if the shoes fit, uh, if I did it and if the shoes fit happened on Tuesday night at 7.20, which means that like I won't, won't know fully whether he's just kind of let that. He flew the balloon, the bald one saw it, let it go, and he's moved on, or whether he's still going to be hammering that on Wednesday. This I don't know. I ich weiß das nicht. I do not know. The fight in, in and of itself, have I watched it? Dribbles and drabs on YouTube. I know, yo, bro, you guys have been sending me the links. I love you for that. I went to see the a burlesque show, Theater of the Grotesque, last night. March 2nd. March 2nd, we got to fight. We got, I got eight, we just did, we were, I record the Care Don't Care now on Sundays, even though it does, she will, Steph won't go live with it until Tuesday afternoon, but I had eight picks on this card coming up. So that's pretty substantial. Pretty substantial. So let's see. So um, I, they are, they, there are two forces afoot and I got some great, great rumors. Remember how remember how um, they used to hire pre Hall of Fame. They used to hire cats to uh, you know like uh, just give them jobs. Like Matt Hughes had a job at the UFC. Uh, uh, Chuck Liddell had a job at the UFC, and they've done this for a few people. But what uh, what what you don't know is some of the people who've been given jobs because. And you don't know their names. You have to dig hard to remember their names. These are guys with dark start for sure. Not big names ever. But they've got bad dementia. Stage four level dementia. And are being given a certain amount of money each month by the UFC. Because the guys can't hold normal jobs now. That's a story you're not hearing. The charm offensive that McNuggets is, is, trying, to, is trying to enact to counter all of uh, all of what could have been bad news coming out of the coming out of the east seems to be working as well as that check that was scratched. I I picked it at four mil. My spies say it ultimately ended up being three mil. So unwanted anal sex. There you go. Some people get it for free. You know, um, it's a dark story. And I, sadly, those of you who are McNuggets nut jumpers will say, "See, it doesn't prove. It didn't probably never happen." You know, um, yeah, yeah, you know, of course. It doesn't, maybe that she just pays $3 million to anybody. Um, I would hope that he was sufficiently impressed, and this is just to be cynical for a second, and, and not think about the human element, which, of course, puts hornets in my brain, uh, but that he was sufficiently impressed with how much there is to lose. $3 million is really the least of it. 
And you don't see all the stuff that you see in the charm offensive is solo directed. Oofsy can't get behind it. That money runs out in Dublin. But that woman was paid. This is what you pay blackmail money. When they blow through that money that you paid for the blackmail, they're going to come back for more. That's why you got to kill them. I mean, this is the movie trope. I'm not suggesting he actually murdered them. Her. But, you know, those nut jumpers like Eugene, you got them all wrong. Okay. All right. You party with them. I don't know if you've ever partied with a pro before. And I mean, party. You know what I mean? When I say party, you understand what how I'm using that word in this instance? I don't know if you've ever partied with a pro fighter. And I don't mean standing around with a red cup, taking, uh, you know, occasional sips of beer. I'm talking about party. And there's a point at which you realize that if that you, what do they say about the job? Uh, I exist at the pleasure of the president. You exist unmolested at the pleasure of the pro fighter on hand. Now, for somebody like me, if you see me on the solo tip, believe that I'm strapped, not that much of an issue. But partying with one of those guys and seeing them get loose and realizing that this is fucking, this is a, a tornado with technique. If things get a little too fucking dicey, I got to shoot dude in the leg. I got to. I'm not going to be all up in here with my pants around my ankles and a fucking sock in my mouth. No. Oh, Eugene, you're crazy. Oh, really? Look up the look up the, the MMA fighter who was partying with his friend and ended up tearing the guy's heart out and eating it. Based on the photos I've been seeing... And like cutting cutting girls out of the photos and just posting the photos with him, McNuggets has been sufficiently impressed with the seriousness. You won't see the UFC behind him at all. He's got to fix this shit himself. And, you know, woe betide to him if he doesn't fix it in this year. But he's trying to get a fight. He's trying to. And Kavanaugh did a mystery tweet the other day about guys not being able to, God forbid, they should test him. Out of competition testing, you will not find a clean, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe you will, maybe you will. Recreational drugs are not, you know, look, I, I'm not, I'm getting too deep into the weeds. What I think is that, that it's, 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 it's gone, it's settled. And I don't think people had to do it with threats. They're like, what is it going to prove? You could go to the cops and you could tell the truth. And you could ruin his life and his career. Or you could take the $3 million. This is $3 million American dollars. You know how many euros? How strong a dollar is now? You know how many euros that is? I mean, it's an argument that, you know, we get caught up in symbolism. I, I could understand it. I mean, yeah, I might want to make I want, honestly, I might want things to, but I want to be a pariah one way or the other. I might as well get $3 million for it. I don't know what you, what you do. I do know if I'm the father of a daughter who was anally raped, it would take a lot for me to not think that murder was a solution. Would I want my daughter involved? Nope. Would I be okay with her taking the money? Sure. But this is not about that. You know, the, the rest of the world of women has to hope he hasn't had some. Look, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm a spectator. On the sidelines, watching this stuff. So the stink of UFC one, Fight Night 145, you, you, you didn't watch all the fights. Really? You know how I measure it? I look at my Twitter feed. And when my tip on March 2nd, my Twitter feed will light up at 5 o'clock when the first fight happens because everybody will be dialed in. Yep. Everybody will be dialed in. My Twitter feed, it was like one nonconformist, 
That's the name he uses. Non-conformist sent me clips. God love him. Sent me clips from the fight and actually sent me a stream for the fight. Eh. Eh. Georgie B will help me out with the rest of it. With, with, with the rest of it. Eh. You know, your drugs are not always supposed to be good, but they got to be good enough to get you to your next dosage. So, incidentally, Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat. Somebody mentioned that as well. Again, I get the stories all, all out in one, all out in one. So we're standing in the backyard of Tesco V's house in Michigan. And I, you know, again, you know, I was a punk rock guy, but clearly I was not too far removed from the from the barbells. And Ian was great. I still like Ian. I've talked to him more recently than probably anybody except for Tesco. I had him on the old knuckle up on the occasion of the meet men have a record out. So uh, we're in the backyard. We've been skateboarding earlier. And then Ian was like, yeah, he starts talking about fighting. Now his attitude about fighting is he goes, I will never throw another punch in anger again. And he stuck to it. And I'm like, yeah, if you're lucky, if I'm lucky, I don't have to do this either. When I'm training, I'm not angry. I don't want to get in a street fight. But he goes, if I get angry enough, you know, I could take on somebody even like you. And he looks at me and he got, we, got, we both have that look. And I said, really? He goes, yeah, if I was angry enough. And I go, if is my way of saying, you're feeling froggy. Let's jump in. And we looked at each other. And I'm like, yeah, no. I mean, because what was weird about that is we were just we kind of friendly and goofing off. So I couldn't punch him. And he knew he was gonna, not going to punch me. So we could slap fight. But clearly, I would have been better with that. I, if I wrestled him to the ground, maybe he would have a chance, depending on his wrestling history. I, don't, I think he used to wrestle at Terman. His family lived, his father was a professor, and they lived in California, Palo Alto, for a bit of time. But we just kind of left it there, hanging in the air, which I thought was funny. Because, you know, if you're a civilian, a lot of civilians think, yeah, if I was angry enough, yeah, if. If you've been paying attention to martial arts for any period of time, you know that that's bullshit. If I'm going against fucking who's who's Dean Lister, it doesn't matter how angry I am. I might have a chance as a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belt. I might have a chance against Dean Lister. If I was angry beyond like one of those guys angry enough to lift a Toyota off a baby. But generally, it won't, you know, it's not going to make a difference. So those are my punk rock stories. Those are my UFC uh, Fight Night 145 stories. You got some good MMA gossip in there. I didn't mention the names of the guys yet because I haven't had that confirmed by the person who told me. And it's his story to tell, so I'm not really going to let loose for anything. But, you know, and I gave the sympathy sympathy for the devil speech for the bald one that you can't build a franchise. But it's a chicken and egg thing with him. If he would have pony up money, people wouldn't be so sanguine about uh about uh so sanguine about about just letting shit fly showing up for work once every two years it's a big mistake it's a big mistake a big mistake for the record of the fight coming up on march 2nd uh just for those of you who may not get to care don't care preview uh 15 fights in the card i cared about eight you want to know who I picked for the main line, for the headliner? John Jones. Could be a mistake. You never know. Sometimes mice get lucky, but Jones said he's not making the mistake he made against Gustafson now. Taking this guy very, very seriously, and it should be a good fight no matter what. I like Anthony Smith a lot. He's like a big boy, Joe Diesel Riggs. In fact, you get them to play brothers in a movie if you were so inclined. So... That's the show. Sorry about that. Yeah, I had some cheese. I had some goat cheese. So I got the phlegm from the cheese. Uh, on Tuesday night, 7.20, we got If I Did It, followed immediately by uh, If the Shoes Fit. You should listen to Alexi, Kidnate, me, talk about MMA kerfuffles, and then kerfuffles outside the MMA world. 9.30 tonight, 
ozzy.com will go live with uh, uh, my Javier Mendez piece. I think I could be wrong. The Ozzy Confidential interview with him will come later on in the week if they get their act together. I know I haven't recorded interstitial sports, so I don't know what's going to happen with that. So we're pretty much done. Care Don't Care is recorded. Tuesday, if I did, if the shoes fit, JJB is about to go live, like within the next hour, your new tips and tricks for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And outside of that, we cruise into March 2nd with fingers crossed and hoping to God that nobody drops for any reason whatsoever. I didn't talk about the, the mutating, morphing stuff out of AKA camp because I don't want to divert attention away from the Javier Mendez piece. But now they're, they're claiming an illegal strike. Whatever. You say what you got to say to keep your boy in the press. I got you. I got you. So anyway, that's the show. Thanks for listening. V54. That's it. That's it. V54. I don't know what's happening with the Oscars. I guess maybe you do. I'm your host, Eugene S. Robinson. And uh, we'll see you next uh, on Tuesday. And then, ah, look what you made me do! Ah!